Hi, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. Holly Gordon, an earlier guest in season three, said this, storytelling is our most powerful tool for changing anything in the world today. I really love this quote because it perfectly sums up my aspirational goal for this podcast, sharing stories to change you, your leadership, your team, your company. In my work as an executive coach and leadership strategist, I've been super lucky to work with some incredible leaders. This podcast is designed to share their inspiring stories and practical ideas that you can use to develop yourself as a leader and as a person. Thank you so much for supporting me on this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone about it, forward an episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening? If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. Now, onto the show. Marianne Manso is the area vice president for Pinot Ricard, a global wine and spirits group whose ambition is to turn every social interaction into a genuine sharing experience. While Marianne's friendly spirit is immediately apparent, underneath that smile is an extremely intentional, hardworking, and ambitious woman. Marianne shares why intention matters, her experiencing learning to be vulnerable, and how her father and three brothers helped shape the person she is today. The second one, as you well know, for me is just two simple words, intention matters. And that has just opened up so many windows for me, understanding how I'm seen, how I want to be seen. It just, those two words mean so much in so many different contexts where I find myself giving advice to, to people on my team. And I say, if you be intentional when you're trying to do something or the importance for me to share my intention of why I might be asking something or doing something so that other people know where I'm coming from. So that if it doesn't land the way I intended, it doesn't upset the apple cart and they know where I'm coming from and that I'm coming from a good place. It also allows me to show my flexibility and where I'm open to change by really giving people insight into my intentions. Mary Ann, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your life and your busy day to be here with me and talk with me. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's been a long time that we've been waiting to come together, so I'm very excited. Oh, good, good. I am too. We actually started working together right as the pandemic started. It was March 2020. And when everything shut down that week, I was actually supposed to meet you in Chicago and meet you for the first time. <laughs> so we just barely missed meeting each other face to face, which we still haven't. And I'm sure we will someday. I think that for everybody during that time, especially, but even now we were all going through this crazy time of, okay, everything's shutting down, everything's changing, but yet we still have to work. We still have to do our job. We still have to like take care of our families, but the way in which we're doing it has been all upended. And that's when we started working together, which maybe was a really great time to do that because I think it is always good to be talking through things when things are so, so crazy. I would really love to talk to you about leadership challenges that you've faced in your career, but maybe you could first tell us a little bit about your role at Pernod Ricard and why you love it. What do you love about what you do? I've been with Pernod Ricard for 15 years. Pernod is a global wine and spirits group with over 240 brands. Currently, we're number two worldwide and we have a clear ambition to become the leader. Patrick Ricard was one of the early leaders with our company and really an architect of the group's ambitious strategy to grow through acquisition. And he had a, a saying 
which was make a new friend every day. And that summed up a lot of his personality, his exuberance, the way that he connected with people. And that mantra today is really at the root of our culture. Internally, we call ourselves creators of conviviality. I've had the opportunity to interview many folks that I've brought on board. And in the interview process, they read about us on the internet and they say, what is this conviviality? And then three months after they're hired, they come back to me and they say, oh my God, I get it. It's part of our DNA. It's how we connect internally. It's how we feel that we connect to people. And so our vision at Pernod is to unlock that magic of the human connection through our brands. And in supporting that ambition, the consumer-centric approach we have with our portfolio is that we have a brand in our portfolio that could be shared across any occasion, creating these moments of conviviality. And so what I love most about my role here at Pernod is the connectedness that we share. From a business perspective, I lead strategy and business performance for my subdivision. I lead distributor success, customer success management, drive accountability. I have the opportunity to work side a very talented and passionate group of individuals that are committed to our brands, to our customers, delivering results, and they're also very committed to each other. But the most rewarding part for me is the opportunity to coach, to develop, and to lead the team. And that's what I love the most. Yeah, it's funny because I've been in your offices in New York, and there's this really big bar right there in the middle of the office. I was never there during the happy hour or when it was being used. But aside from the bar, there was really a sense of energy and lightheartedness. And like you said, connection whenever I was there. People say that you can feel the culture at any company. When you walk it through the doors, you get a sense of what it's like. That's definitely true at Pernod. You walk in the door, you get a sense of what the people and what the culture is like. It's interesting that word conviviality. People don't necessarily know that word, but the way you just explained it makes sense, especially in light of what I've seen at the company. So that's helpful. When you look back on your career, what's been challenging for you? Maybe one particular thing comes to mind, but what's the most difficult leadership challenge you faced over your career? Great question. So when I look back, you know, specifically at my time at Pernod, like I said, I've been here for almost 15 years. I had a unique business challenge. When I got promoted to lead the Illinois business, which is our fifth largest market in the U.S., the organization at that time had already made the decision to launch a very significant route to market project in Illinois. And the thought process was that I would be able to provide a fresh set of eyes on a key market that had really struggled in the performance over the past 10 years and required working with external consultants and an internal project team, which is normal in a project. But what made it unusual was that it consumed so much more of my time than I would have imagined when I was coming in to try to learn a new market and learn, develop, and really gel with a new team. And there were a lot of things involved in that. I came into the role really being known for my execution, how I deliver, how I was able to push out HQ priorities, kick the tires and deliver. And it was an opportunity for me to really showcase a different side of how I set vision. And for me and for Team Illinois, what came out of it was the creation of four new roles that didn't exist prior within the organization from a banding perspective, and then new opportunities for the team. For me personally, you know, like I said, it was an opportunity to show a more strategic side as opposed to having been known for more of the execution side. 
it gave me an area to identify problems to solve, establish that roadmap and build the benefits of the strategy. But after that year, and even before the year came to an end, I was left with a very clear leadership challenge. I had spent almost 75% of my time over the past year leading the market focused on this project. And I hadn't built up that trust and credibility to the level that I would have liked with a new team. And here I was about to change the route to market that would require making some really difficult personal decisions that I wasn't necessarily sure would be very popular amongst the team. While it was a great business challenge for me personally, I don't know that I went into it eyes wide open to see where it would leave me with a real leadership challenge. I think when we're faced with a business challenge and the company is going through something and it's a difficult challenge for the entire company, not just for any one person, I think that's when it really does test our ability to be the leaders that we want to be because the things that have worked in the past may not work, which is why this is a business challenge, right? It's like, well, if anyone could do it, probably it would have already been fixed. So it sounds like this is a situation where, hey, how do I bring my best toolkit as it relates to leadership? But my skills are going to be challenged in a way that might not otherwise happen with another kind of challenge. Is that sort of what was happening? Yeah, exactly. The team didn't have a lot of visibility at the time. There had been a lot of leadership changes. No one really ever seemed to stay in the role more than a, a year uh, to two years, and it, the team needed stability. And it wasn't really wired right with our distributor either. And so it was an opportunity to build up trust and credibility for the team. And very lucky for me, I had a very resilient team. All of them had more experience in the Illinois marketplace than I had. And they recognized that the old ways of working weren't delivering the business. They were frustrated. They were a talented and proud team. They wanted to win, but they knew they weren't getting the visibility that they wanted either. And they put an incredible amount of trust in me based on my experience across other markets that I had managed. And through the work on the project, I was really able to bring several new roles and different perspectives. I was going to share decisions that wouldn't be popular amongst the team. They found it as an opportunity. I took that as an opportunity to demonstrate to them that I had listened to their pain points. And in addition to that, I was able to show them that I had listened to them about what some of the different individuals on the team, what their development goals were. And it allowed an opportunity to put several folks in new stretch roles and the opportunity to take feedback from some of the strong players who touched our business and bring that talent directly onto our team. And as a result, we ended up building out a really, really strong locker room. The three things that were happening was, one is what we are talking about a minute ago. So you taking what they knew, right? They had exposure to the market that you didn't have. So they had really good institutional knowledge. You were coming in, presumably with a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh perspective, and you had other kinds of experience that you were bringing to the table that maybe they didn't have. And so it's like, okay, let's put all that on the table and see what we've got here and see then what we can do to move forward. So that was one piece of it. But the other two things that you mentioned were trust and this idea of they had developmental goals. Okay, to me, that's almost tapping into what do you guys want to do and love to do and want to do more of, or where do you feel like you could be stretched? Let's then 
put that up against what we need for this business challenge that's in front of us. Let's match those up. So there's that, but then there's this, again, there's this element of trust. So tell me a little bit about both of those. So how did you develop trust? How do you orient around trust? Like, are you the kind of person you trust easily? You don't trust easily, like in that situation? Particularly in the Illinois role, what I quickly learned was trust was going to be critical to my success internally with the team, externally. And I think if I was being honest with myself at the time, in life, I probably would have described myself as kind of a trust earner, but it was very apparent in this new business situation that I was in and the challenge that I was facing. I had to quickly let go of my own baggage there and just go into trust giver mode and really just let the team lead me. Like I said, Illinois is a complex market and I couldn't bog down and in guessing why they did what they did. They had their reasons. Like I said, they were the market experts and we brought that together. A lot of it was rooted in trust. And I, there are things that I would have done differently. As you mentioned, I, I reflect on the last two years that I spent together on kind of a coaching journey with you. I think it's important to think, what would I do differently? And um, I focus on being intentional about bringing people in earlier to get their buy-in. But I think that so much emphasis was spent on getting an external buy-in with the distributor and getting it communicated through our own internal organization that there were opportunities for me to spend more time internally bringing them apart on the journey and allowing them to be even a greater part of the process than just their feedback. Getting their feedback in terms of what would success look like as opposed to just what the pain points looked like from their perspective. And I reflect on it now because one of the leaders that I've really developed a strong relationship with at the distributor has a saying, as we've shared some different things together over the years around collaboration and partnership, and it really resonates with me. Bring folks to the launch and not just the crash. And that's one that I really think about with this project of ways that I could have brought them in earlier at the beginning, as opposed to just at different points. And it could have been maybe even a little bit stronger than it was when we launched it. So when you say bring them in, what does that mean? Does that mean give them more information along the way? Does that mean like, hey, you need to sit in on these meetings or I need to tell you what's going on and you may not know? What does it mean? Yeah, what people have shared with me was that they just wish that they knew more. They weren't going to be involved in the meetings, but just brought them up to speed, maybe given them some more monthly updates of this is what we're discussing and why, and just really making them feel more a part of the process so that if the final rollout wasn't what they thought, or maybe they would have bought even more into it if they knew that the other two options weren't even as strong as the one that we landed on, or maybe why we didn't go with the other two if they thought one of them was better, and then have that aha moment for themselves of, ah, I didn't realize this was an obstacle, so that's a really great second option or whatever that might have been. Even though, again, they were really happy with the way things came out. Again, I think it's just this process that we do as leaders to reflect on and, and think about what would I do differently. And I think I would have challenged myself to not have as much restraint in terms of holding back some of the difficult conversations that were had in order to get to where we got. That goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is really recognizing that when you take on a new team and you take on you know a new department or a new group or whatever, to figure out how to mine or tap into the knowledge and the experience that the people have that you're joining. 
Because I think as leaders, we go into situations and we feel all this pressure to be the heroes. Okay, we're going to come in, we're going to do all this stuff, it's going to work, and I'm going to lead everyone forward, rather than remembering, hey, this team has a lot of information, and maybe they haven't connected the dots Maybe I can help them, but there's a lot of dots to connect here. And so how can I do that? Exactly. And I think the other thing is, in hindsight, I could have shown more vulnerability in the process. As excited as I was to launch the implementation of the project, what I never let them see was that I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified that it wouldn't work or that we had gotten these new roles. The company made a significant investment in headcount and resources. And at the time, other divisions were losing headcount. And at one point I can recall my own division was losing headcount and my manager had come to me and wanted me to give back one of the headcount that was a part of this new route to market because there was an opportunity to repurpose in another area within his division. And I didn't let any of that show. I just kind of kept a tough upper lip about the whole thing and just said, this is going to be great. Knowing what I know now, it definitely would have shown some more vulnerability and let them see that I was scared. I can lead the team, but I don't have to have all the answers. We can roll this thing out and, and we might need to make some tweaks. And I, if I were to do that today, I definitely would be showing some more vulnerability around that. So what would you actually do? What would that look like? That's definitely something that you've talked a lot about is this whole idea of vulnerability, which I think honestly is probably... Maybe it's difficult for everybody, but I think maybe it's even more difficult for women because women leaders, they're nervous about showing vulnerability because they don't want to be judged for being weak or being not competent. I guess there's two questions there. Did that play into it? But let's go back first to the first question, which is how do you demonstrate vulnerability? How does that end up showing up for you as a leader with your team? I find it shows up differently in different occasions, but at the root of it, what it means to me is just be authentic in the moment. If I'm scared, don't be afraid to say it. If I'm saying, hey, this is what I think, but this is also what could go wrong and or, or letting them know what I'm afraid of. I just had this kind of tunnel vision of this is what we're doing and we're moving ahead. And I think just to acknowledge that in that moment of this is a unique opportunity and really trying to seize that. I think we did it with a little bit of tunnel vision for the Illinois market, as opposed to kind of putting it into the context of the bigger picture. I think it really is just the human side of it. I think at the end of the day, we're leaders, but we're humans. And recognizing that there's a range of emotions that we have as humans, but as a leader, it doesn't change our decision because we have to make tough decisions. And just to kind of have had a little bit more emotion with it is something that I've really come to value now in some tough lessons. Yeah. So maybe going back to that next question is, what held you back from being vulnerable? Do you think any element of that was because you were a woman and you needed to make sure that people didn't think that you were weak or didn't think that you were competent? Or were there other things, if you don't mind sharing? Honestly, I think it was blissful ignorance. I think I was just so in the moment that I didn't allow myself to step back and see the bigger picture. And I think that's where one of the areas that I feel that I've grown a lot is that it just didn't dawn on me. And again, it was in the moment, it was in the project, and it wasn't having that forward thinking and that mindset of that piece that I love of bring me to the launch, not just the crash. And when I think about that, what resonates with me is that all the things that go into the launch, I was just thinking about getting to the launch. I wasn't thinking about the possibility that it could crash. 
And while I think that there's a lot of value in that as a leader at times, for me, again, it wasn't intentional to not be vulnerable and it wasn't intentional to not share. But I think what I've learned is that when you bring those two things in to any decision you make as a leader, it's game changing for those that are a part of the process with you. That does make sense based on what I know about you, Marianne, because you're such a hard driver and you're so focused on getting things done and you're really driven. And so I can see that it didn't come to mind that that would help, (laughs) right? Yeah. If someone had said, hey, take a look at this lens, I would have been like, wow. And again, I was just so in the moment that lasted a long time. And that's one of the things I'm just so grateful for is is learning to kind of look back and reflect without beating myself up and taking those learnings, whether they're one month in the rearview mirror or five months in the rearview mirror, and really taking the opportunity to explore that is where I see the value for me. So if you were giving advice to somebody, maybe in particular, about vulnerability, what advice would you give someone to look out for that or maybe even how to do it or what do they need to know about being more vulnerable? What advice would you give? It's invaluable. And I think that until you get to a place or a situation where you're uncomfortable, you probably don't know what it is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So when you're uncomfortable that's when you should think about how vulnerability might help you? For me, it's when I know I'm actually doing it and it's not just something that I'm saying or that when I get to a place where I'm uncomfortable, I know that there's benefit for me in that. Interesting. Because I'm putting myself out there or I'm letting things be heard and I have learned to really get comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's where I said I feel I'm growing and I feel like I'm giving my team and the people around me the best of me because I'm allowing myself to go through the process with them and not just lead them through it. I think that's really profound, actually. And I think you're saying two things. One is recognizing when you are uncomfortable so that you know that it's happening. But then two, recognize that this is an opportunity to learn something. And whether that's you being vulnerable or if you notice you're uncomfortable and then you ask yourself, why am I uncomfortable? Then that can lead you to, oh, I'm uncomfortable because I'm learning something new, or I'm uncomfortable because I'm not feeling good about this and I'm not sure why. And how do I communicate or articulate that in a way that connects me with my team, but also maybe we help each other through this time of like, we're not sure what's happening and we got to figure it out. And this is challenging and really frustrating. And how do we do that? So I think there's an awareness and then there's like, asking yourself, why am I feeling this? And then what do we do about it? But then that, what do we do about it? That's the conversation that you're having with yourself and or your team. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. When you think about looking back early in your life and maybe when you were growing up, maybe it was in your childhood or super early in your career, do you have some learning moments or lessons that continues to provide you guidance when you're under stress or you're going through difficult times? Is there anything that from your past that helps you even today? Sure. Yes. One of my life lessons, but also a business lesson is one that my dad taught me and and I, I carry it with me to this day. My dad passed away when I was 23. So it was before I started my career in business and he was a salesman. And when I was little, I would always ask him questions about what he did and always wanted to help and you know, he'd give me silly little projects like 
putting packets together. When I reflect on that now, it was probably some type of a PR press kit type of thing. And, you know, I was doing some collating for him and I thought that was so neat. And I remember one night I finished my project and I think then I was still even very task oriented of like, I'd finish it and be like, okay, what can I do next? And there was one time where I remember him saying, I don't need anything else. I, I just need you to go upstairs. I need to finish working on something because he was getting ready to prepare for some time later in the week to ride with his manager. I couldn't put that into context because earlier that year I had reached out to his manager myself and asked him to be my pen pal. So I didn't have any clear idea of what a manager was. And my dad used these five P's on me that I'll never forget. And he said, when preparing, it's about the five P's. And it was about proper planning prevents poor performance. (laughs) And I have carried that with me, certainly in my business career and, and planning for presentations or planning for a meeting, I I recognize that I'm more nervous when I'm not as prepared as I want to be. And it always comes down to my dad explaining the five P's and what it means to properly prepare. And it's shown up when I see the impact when I don't do it properly. For me, it's about the five P's. Repeat again, what are the five P's? Proper planning prevents poor performance. Got it. I didn't know this story and it now makes so much more sense when I think about you. (laughs) I know that you love a good plan and you do. I mean, and I think it's true for many of us. Some of us plan more than others, but I think some sort of planning really does make a big difference. And it does sound like it really has stuck with you (laughs) over your lifetime. Yes, for sure. For sure. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your role, the industry you're in. I'm guessing it's pretty male heavy. Is that true? To say that it's male dominated would be an understatement. Okay. Okay. For sure. It is a male dominated industry. Dealing with distributors, spirits and wines. And it just seems like that would be pretty male dominated. So how has your experience as a woman impacted you as a leader? What have you worked through as it relates to that? For me growing up, all I ever heard was my dad telling me, you know, I could do anything and anything was possible. And I was the only girl. I had uh, three older brothers. When I was younger, I just wanted to be around them. So I quickly had to learn to, to hold my own. And so I never thought it was unique to be in a room full of just males, whereas I definitely resonated with me earlier in my career when I would see another female and, and they would draw immediate attention to it. And I was a little slow to come around to it, honestly. Now, with three older brothers, they all champion me in very different ways, but they each play a role in driving my confidence by celebrating me. They see toughness in me when I feel defeated. They see results that I've achieved when I might just be focusing on a missed opportunity. I sometimes see myself as a little sister. They see me as the leader. Wow. Early in my career on the supplier side of this business, I was fortunate to have a really great manager. I'll never forget him, Greg Ellison. And he really set the tone for me in this industry. He didn't treat me different than the other males on the team. But looking back on it now as a leader, I do think that there were some things that he was intentional about. And he created space for me, but he also taught me how to create space for myself. He didn't allow me not to speak up in meetings. He celebrated me when I pushed back, when I challenged ideas, when the distributor complained about me and I would just go into those conversations fearless about having difficult conversations. 
he always had my back. When it was nights out entertaining, he always looked out for me. And when I had to tell him the very difficult conversation that I was going to be resigning to move on for a bigger company and a bigger role, he celebrated me. He never tried to hold me back. And he said, I knew it was just a matter of time. And he just said, I'm so grateful for the time. And we talked about it. I had the opportunity to connect with him about seven years ago. And when we worked together, he had a new stepdaughter that was in her early teens. And he was very cognizant that how he behaved at work could influence how he could play a role in her life. And for me, he was kind of that first professional extension of how my brothers treated me. And as you mentioned, the beverage alcohol industry is very much a male-dominant industry. But as I mentioned, we're starting to see that change. And I'm really grateful to see that change starting within our own organization as we now have our first female CEO of North America. And I, I think that's fantastic. But as a leader, I often think about Greg. And what I do with that is that I want to treat others the way I've been treated and the way I've been championed. And so while I think that especially particularly championing females and especially young females in this business is critical. I do also want to make sure that I'm being fair and that I create space for all others and help them create it for themselves. But I, I would say that I, I do go out of my way to make sure that other females are trying to create that space for themselves. And I, I use my position to try to help me do that for them as well. Those are some great stories. This interesting idea that your brothers and obviously even your dad, you had some really great positive male relationships in your family and in your life that you expected in some ways just to carry on in your professional life, which is great, right? You were expecting that that would happen and both it did happen maybe because of that, but also you probably got lucky too. One thing that strikes me in, in knowing you is that you're not someone to harp on oh, I'm a woman and I have to manage this differently or people are seeing me differently. I don't feel like we've really talked a lot about that. But at the same time, I don't also get the sense that you're not embracing who you are either. You're not holding back. And I think that that does stem from what you've just described in your family, but then also early in your career, you were set up really well as a foundation to not let something like that get in your way, get in the way of you being able to carry on in your career. Exactly. And I, I feel very fortunate. You and I have never actually talked about this, but I would like to ask you, how has your experience as a person of color impacted your leadership? And how do you think about that for, for yourself? Because everyone I think is a little bit different. Wow. Great question. And I appreciate the question. I'll start by sharing an example or an experience where I had my own awareness and then where that's kind of led me to. So I clearly recall a time in the third grade where class pictures came out and there were the individual pictures and then the class pictures. And I got my class picture and, you know, put it in my book bag. And then somewhere along the ride home on the bus, I managed to pull it out and look at it. I was a bit shocked. I think it was one of the first times that I can recall as a younger person realizing that I did not look like everyone else. Wow. I'm adopted. I'm, you know, half Filipino, half Caucasian. My adopted family or my family is all Caucasian. And I always felt like I looked like them. And it was this real moment for me where I was scared. I remember running home from the bus stop running up to the house, yelling for my mom, and she wasn't in the house. And I went running through the house and into the backyard and realized she was in the, in the neighbor's backyard. And, and I, I must have been in such a, 
a frantic state that the neighbor's dog came charging after me and it was unleashed and the, the dog bit me. Oh, and Oh my gosh. And at the end of it, it was this realization where I had always known there was never a point in my life that, that I didn't know that I was adopted, but I never put two and two together that I was a person of color and my family was not. It stuck with me when I was young, and I realized that maybe some people might look at me different. And then it quickly faded away again, as most things will when you're little. Then I I can recall a a second very clear instance for me. In my current role, there was a very powerful moment for me when I was interviewing a candidate. And the candidate happened to be an African-American male. I knew him fairly well. There was a level of comfort and ease in our interview discussion. But early in our conversation, he made a statement to me that really stayed with me again. It caught me off guard. And he said to me right up front in the interview, there aren't many people that look like me and you in the company, especially in leadership. And you being in your role gives me hope that that will start to change and I'll be able to move forward. Wow. Yeah. And I just sat there and thought, oh my gosh, and I'm going to go on an interview. And I struggled to be present in the moment, honestly, because I was so struck by his powerful comment that it brought me back to kind of being in the third grade and that moment of, I knew it, but I had lost sight of it. And I had lost sight of maybe what that meant. So just the, the being reminded how I look has an, has an impact on others and how they see me, how they see me as a leader. And I quickly got myself focused in the interview and, and applauded him for his candidness. And I recognized and in that moment, made a commitment again to embrace my ability to influence and encourage others. And some people may see me only as a person of color or only as a female when they look at me, and others may not see that at all. And I've had to kind of come to realization with that again. And within Pernover Card, I applaud the way that they approach employee resource groups. As in my early career, I might have saw that as a stigma, but now I see those groups as they're a support system. They're a place where people can come together and identify. You don't have to be a woman to be in a woman's ERG. You don't have to be an African-American or Asian Pacific Islander to be in an employee resource group. You can be a champion. You can be an ally. I chose to join our Mosaic, which is our Asian Pacific Islander ERG. When I joined, there was this assumption of like, oh, you're coming to kind of share how you want to identify. I thought, no, I'm coming to learn. It's been very interesting for me, but I know that that I'm a strong leader with the potential to do more, but I happen to also be a strong woman of color. I'm grateful for my leadership position and, and that it's helped me to embrace that. And I'm humbled by how others view it and I want to treat everyone the same, but certainly want to give opportunities to people of color, to women, and, and to recognize that and I now see a bigger picture that how we see ourselves is not always how others see us and vice versa. It's just been very powerful for me. I think I already said this, but everyone has their own experience with self-discovery, right? In terms of who they are and how they see themselves, but then an unawareness of how other people see them. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. I'm kind of curious, what grade did you say that you were in when you had that realization? I think it was in third grade. Third grade. Oh, interesting. That's the grade that my youngest daughter's in. I think third grade is an interesting time because I think there is more awareness about 
who you are and how you place yourself in the world. But do you have an insight as to why third grade you had that kind of an insight? I think it was just the awareness of seeing the class picture and, and before. Maybe I never really understood them. Maybe I never really saw. And, and there was some kind of a unlock for me where I saw. And, and what stood out to me was in that picture, difference. I just had never seen that difference before. And it wasn't how I saw myself. I mean, clearly I looked in the mirror every day, but it just what I saw, I just saw saw me and didn't see that. And now I recognize that it's embracing that about myself and embracing that about others and recognizing that some people, when they look at me, see it and some people don't. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I want to be seen as a leader who happens to be a woman and happens to be a person of color. That's right. What's interesting about the second story you told about the person you were interviewing is just by the nature of who you are and how you show up, people are looking and watching and noticing and feeling like you're someone that is supporting them, even if you're not directly doing anything for them, right? Just by the fact of being a woman, a woman of color who's in a leadership position and embracing it and enjoying it and working hard, that that in and of itself is an inspiration. Yeah. And that's what I took away from it. And I think in that moment, I took, not that I never took leadership seriously, but I took it so much more seriously as a result of that moment, just because some people come to you and you connect with them and you have kind of a mentor relationship. And some people you just have a relationship with and you don't know how you might be influencing, guiding or shaping them. And so now I, I never take that for granted. In some ways, I think that's just true about leadership more generally. I mean, certainly in this area of being someone that other people can identify with. People say, in order to be it, I have to see it. But I think that for you, with the way you've approached it, I feel like leaders, this happens all the time. It's like when you become a leader, people are watching you in ways that they weren't before and in maybe ways that you don't necessarily realize. (laughs) And this is one more element that people are watching because they're taking in the whole of who you are, right? Not just your work and everything that you do on a daily basis, but how you show up and what you look like. And they take that as an inspiration and they're watching that, which like you said, I'm going to be (laughs) taking this seriously. And that's important. Exactly. That's why I say that the question is interesting and it's been something that I have really tried to keep more at the forefront and the inclusivity matters. It, It really matters. And you're right, people are watching, but it's not about doing it to be caught doing something inclusive. It's about doing the right thing all the time. And just to know that I unknowingly was giving someone that extra reason to feel that they could apply for a role and see themselves in a future opportunity was equally inspiring for me. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm so excited that we had a chance to talk and I love this conversation. Marianne, is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't or anything else that you would like to say to people who are listening and thinking about themselves as leaders or becoming leaders or seasoned leaders? Anything that you want to say? For me, I just want to maybe share two valuable lessons that I've learned and really stick with me. And one is really understanding the role that feedback plays. Feedback is critically important. Asking for it. I'm a believer that If you ask for it, you better be willing to accept what people say and hear it and process it. But I also have found the importance of finding the balance between having awareness 
about the feedback when someone gives it to you and understanding what feedback you need to action and that you don't have to action every single element of feedback that you get. And it's okay to let go of feedback that doesn't serve you as long as you really allow yourself to hear it. Oh, I love that. I think that's so valuable because I think that we get stuck in, well, if I ask for feedback, I have to do it. And then that's a reason why we don't ask. But I love this combination of definitely ask, be ready to hear it, but it doesn't mean that you have to do it or do it all or do it right now. But as long as you've really processed it and really been open to hearing it, it will be a good thing. Yeah, I think it's benefited me by just asking people. I think people really appreciate that, especially people on, on your direct team or people that you interact with cross-functionally. I think it shows a, a respect and a willingness to be open. And when you can say back to them, this is what I heard, certainly when you're able to act on it, I, I think that's impactful. But I have done that to a fault and I, I just have learned the value of the balancing act there. And I think it's really powerful. It's been very powerful for me. The second one, as you well know, for me is just two simple words, intention matters. And that has just opened up so many windows for me, understanding how I'm seen, how I want to be seen. It just, those two words mean so much in so many different contexts where I find myself giving advice to, to people on my team that come to me for development advice. And I say, you know, if you be intentional when you're trying to do something or the importance for me to share my intention of why I might be asking something or doing something so that other people know where I'm coming from. So that if it doesn't land the way I intended, it doesn't upset the apple cart and they know where I'm coming from and that I'm coming from a good place. It also allows me to show my flexibility and where I'm open to change by really giving people insight into my intentions. Yeah. Because with that last reason, you know, if people understand your intentions, but it didn't come across that way to them, it's like, okay, sh give me some advice or help me talk about it in a way that reflects the intention that I have. Right. Exactly. So I would say those are, are two really important lessons for me that I've really been able to bring into practice and have, have made a big difference for me moving forward. And I would just say for anyone who's aspiring to do anything else, the importance of partnering with your manager, when to bring them in, understanding their needs, and then be cognizant of what your manager values in other people and work to deliver on that. Because there's no doubt about it that having that relationship, your manager is critical in helping you move forward. Definitely. I think that's definitely something that you've talked a lot about is really understanding what they need from you. How can you communicate in a way that really touches on what they care about? Those are some of the things that I know that you have gotten really good at. Thank you. So those would be some of the lessons that have really served me and wouldn't trade the experiences for what they brought me and how they helped me and make me a more effective leader today. Very good. Mary Ann, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me. It's been so much fun. And thank you for your amazing leadership lessons. So thank you. Thank you, Winnie. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winita Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at 
winnie at winifred.org. Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much.